Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Mac and Jack Sports Show, our Friday edition. I'm your host, Mac, with your co-host, legendary Hall of Fame boxing writer, Jack Hirsch, as we're on live on Roku TV, YouTube, Facebook, and a few other platforms that we're on. And later on, we'll be on uh, our audio platforms on iHeartRadio and, and Spotify and, and iTunes and all that. So if you do ever miss the show uh, on past shows or upcoming shows, you can go there and listen to our show. We have great guests today. We have Byron Williams, NFL analyst, Keith Angles, TGI Sports Talk host, and the Philly Sports Guy, as they'll give you all their thoughts and input and commentary as we cover all the sports that happened yesterday, at least most recent sports stories anyway. And Jack, you know, I, uh, I, I would have to say that the biggest sports news stories from yesterday have to be That's right, opening day, opening day at MLB. Some interesting games, uh, some interesting stories from all that. I'll give the scores quick and then we'll hit the news from them. Uh, yesterday, Arizona beat San Diego 4-2. to two. The Astros get by the Angels 3-1. to one. The Mets beat the Nationals 5-1. to one. The Reds over the Braves 6-3. The Royals 3, Cleveland 1. The St. Louis Cardinals shut out the Pirates 9-0. And the Cubs slide by the Brewers five to four. Jack, you know, we've talked about on the show a lot about analytics and when to pull a pitcher. And I get it, it's first game. You don't want the pitcher to, to wear himself out. But pa- Padre's starting pitcher, you darnish through six innings of no-hit baseball, gets pulled after 92 pitches. The bullpen melts down and they end up losing the game. Now I seem to remember not too long ago that managers would leave the starting pitcher in for the next inning to see what happened. In other words, if if he started walking people or giving up a base hit or two, they'd pull him. But if he continued to pitch and the pitch count stayed pretty low, for instance, if he, say, made nine pitches the next inning and got up to 101, then maybe they'd pull him or maybe they'd keep him in too. Again, I know it's first first opening day. I know it's first day. But I think they pulled you, Darvish, way too soon, Jack. Well, let me take you back to uh, when Santana, who had the only no-hidden Mets history to date, uh, had a high pitch count. And Terry Collins, the manager at the time, he kept wanting to pull Santana out of the game because he saw the pitch count was getting higher and higher and higher but because he had a no-hitter going, Terry Collins was leaving him the game, and Terry Collins was nearly wishing they would get a hit off Santana. He couldn't take it anymore, but, he, but because Santana had the no-hitter going, he left him in the game. He had a high pitch count. He was injured soon after Mac. His yeah. career was never the same. You, Darvish, had, you said, 92 pitches, okay? 92 pitches is already starting to become a a fairly high pitch count. Normally the magic number's 100 before a guy starts getting pulled out and maybe they let him go slightly over 100 pitches. And even if they leave him in and the guy doesn't get hurt, the guy is going, the pitcher's going to lose effectiveness 
the more pitches he throws. It was six innings, okay? He had three more innings to go until he can get a no-hitter. And I know that's what people are thinking. How can you pull a pitcher out who has a no-hitter going? At least wait till he gives up a hit. That's what people are thinking. That's what our listeners are thinking. But three long innings to go. I mean, just think of it. I mean, how many more pitches you Darvish would have to throw? And it's his first start of the season. He didn't throw nearly as many pitches as the 92 during spring training. And it's all Michael, about building your arm up as the season goes along. So you hit a certain peak and you're not at that peak in the beginning of the season. You really have to wait into May or June before you could maximize your pitch count. And it was the right, it was the right decision really to be made to take you Darvish out that the bullpen melted down for San Diego just happened to be the case, but they couldn't leave him in really much longer. Well, well, you know, Jack, and and I get the point, as I said, when I said that, when I opened, I said that, that I understand it's open in game, but there's things you can do. I mean, even if you leave him in a little longer, you can take him out of the rotation for the next start. And we had pitchers at one time that not only would pitch nine innings, they'd pitch double headers. They'd come back in three, two games rest. We had pitchers that were built that way. So to me, it's more of a question of what kind of what kind of training are these pitchers getting, or what kind of what kind of thing are they doing in the off season that make them so fragile? And that's that's a big to me. That's the bigger question. I mean, how can a pitcher from the '60s, '70s, even into the '80s? Throw full games into into extra innings sometimes, but now they can't. And this is this to me is a big question that if I was if I was a GM or in charge of baseball, I would want to find out what is the major difference between back then and today. The major difference is that managers analytics are so exact much more so than they won the past. Now, let me address the great point that you just made. Well, pitch him longer and don't bring him back for his next start as quickly. Give him more rest, which is a good idea, Mac. It's a, it's a great idea. But the problem is these teams have rotations set up. So if you mess around with the rotation, give a pitcher a couple of extra days off, now you've got to move someone else to the back of the line and the guy after him to the back of the line. And these pitchers are creatures of habit. They're used to starting on X amount of days of rest. It's not like in the past where they would be told the night before by the manager, oh, by the way, you're starting the next day. Or they'd even get to the ballpark that morning, the old time players, and be told you're starting today. Okay, it's not like that anymore. The mindset has changed. So much of the game is mental. And the game is more done on a routine basis where players have routines much more than they had in the past. And that's the reason why they won't pitch a guy a little longer and decide, well, we'll give him a couple of days more rest till the next start. And also, if you give him a couple of more days rest till the next start, you're actually using them less over the course of the season if you get in the habit of doing things like that. 
No, that would only be in the case of he pitched a no hitter, Jack. If he went the full game, then I would do something. I would even think of doing something like that. But I still think, as we see with injuries in the sports today, there's something wrong with the training today as opposed to the training a long time ago when people are getting non-contact injuries and hurting themselves uh, during the year. And I think there should be a study on this. I think there should be a study. Maybe they overtrain. Maybe there's too many weights. Maybe the uh, maybe the uh, training they do is so intense that it causes them to become injured. And, you know, you look at Louis Tiat, you look at, you know, some of the great pitchers of all time, they sure weren't in great shape. Max, what's the greatest pitcher you ever saw, the greatest starting pitcher? I think I would have to say the game I went to see Ron Gidget when he had that one year. When no, he- no, I'm not talking about one game. The greatest- well, you saying I ever saw. I, that's the one I ever saw in person. You say Ron Gidry based on one game. Right, based on that one game. Based that I saw. off a few seasons. Man. I would I would have to say, Jack, I would have to go all the way back to Tom Seaver. You say Tom Seaver was better than Sandy Koufax. I never saw Sandy Koufax. Uh, I, okay, I saw Sandy Koufax. Sandy Koufax generally is considered as a pitcher the way Jim Brown is considered as a running back, okay? Right. And he would be the consensus greatest starting pitcher of all time. If you ask people for peak value at his very best over a few seasons, Sandy Kovacs, I could give him as an example. His career was cut short, Uh, you know, elbow trouble and so on. Had Sandy Kovacs been pitching in this era, they would have babied him a lot more. Look at Jacob DeGrom, how fragile he is. Jacob DeGrom's best. That's what I'm saying. He's as good as anyone who ever pitched. That is very best. If he's not hurt. And you're talking about one. You're talking one one example. I can give you a a hundred more where these great pitchers pitched all the time. Tom Seaver, Roger Clemens. I mean, I could go on and on about these great pitchers. That didn't get hurt as much and threw as many, if not more pitches than the pitchers today. So, I, you know, that's one example, Jack. But I, as I said, a lot of the pitchers from the past, even recent past, were able to go the nine innings if they were hot and they didn't get hurt. If Jason, if Jacob DeGrom can't pitch a full game, to me, he's not really a starting pitcher anymore. And that's just my opinion. I, I know it's unpopular, but that's my uh, opinion. Complete games are rarity. Now. I know. I know. It's a rarity. No, no. It. I think it's less about the starting pitcher than it is about the bullpen. I and know. it really started during the time when Goose Gossage, you know, came to the Yankees. And I remember the Yankees beat the Kansas City Royals three years in a row in the playoffs in 1976, 1977, and 1978. Whitey Herzog the manager of the Kansas City Royals said the difference between the two teams is the bullpen that you can bring in, you know, you know, the reinforcements that the Yankees had. And, you know, they had Sparky Lyle, you know, that time Goose Gossage. I think the bullpens are so good now. They're dependent on, they're dependent on no matter how well the starting pitchers pitching, the managers know they're going to get to a point in the game where they're going to bring in, you know, their, their closer, their, their setup man, and then their closer. Listen, 
even um, I'm going back, I just talked about the 70s, even in the 80s, when the Minnesota Twins beat the St. Louis Cardinals in the World Series in the seventh game, Frank Viola pitched great for eight innings for the Twins. They're leading 4-2 in the seventh game, going into the ninth inning. Yet the manager, Tom Kelly, brings in Jeff Reardon to close it out, even though Viola was pitching well, because his logic was, well, he's been our closer all year. This is what we do. This is what all the teams do. I mean, Garrett Cole yeah, 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 great yeah. eight innings for the Yankees, yeah, but they're going to yeah. come up with Chapman in the ninth. Well, Derek Cole has not pitched great eight innings for the Yankees lately. Besides that, but besides Chapman hasn't pitched a great one inning lately. But that's the <laughs> problem. Last, yeah, you, you say the closers. Don't need to get back to four. You were, you were saying the closers. Uh, they're heavily dependent on on the bullpen. Jacob Degrom. Wait a minute. You're saying that they are heavily dependent on the bullpen. Because the bullpens are better. I disagree with that. I think the bullpens lose a lot of games for the teams right now. So I don't necessarily agree with that premise at all. I think the bullpens lose a lot of games that the starting pitcher could have finished out and won. Because their bullpens aren't no goose gotches. They're not Sparky Lyle. They're not Mariano Rivera. They're not Jeff Reardon. I, I can go on and on. There's very few of those people out there. Mac, Mac, 2003 Yankee Red Sox seventh game in the playoffs. Uh, Grady Little, he tried to stay with Pedro Martinez the whole way. Pedro faulted in the eighth inning. He stayed with him too long instead of going to his bullpen. He lost his job on that. Red well, Sox I, lost I, the game. I don't, of that. So I don't he played I don't your formula think. trying to – I don't. I don't think there was a better option. I don't think there was a better option in the bullpen than Pedro starting at that time, Jack. I really don't. When he started faulting, but all year the bullpen would be coming in. They had a formula. You know, teams follow their formula. You know, through the playoffs. I mean, but the public doesn't see it. They have a routine that a starter might go seven innings and then they go to the bullpen, and then we see the game on national television and we see the starter. Pitch a superb seven innings, and we think to ourselves, why is the manager pulling them? But the managers have been doing it all year. Well, I mean, just I, again, think with the Mets, they got shirts in the ground. When they're healthy, Mac, they're hmm. going to have very few complete games between them. The well, Mets, Showalter's going to go to his bullpen. He'll have guys like Trevor May as the setup man, Edwin Diaz. To close it out, and you get a little nervous with the Met bullpen and some other, you know, pitchers in the bullpen. And you're going to say, How do you take out the grammar shirts? Uh, but you're also saving them for the next game. If you don't want to overdo it. If there, is, if there is a next game, that's the most important key question there. Jack, well, let's, I'm talking about let's, playoffs. Let's, I'm get talking about other, let's, let's, let's get to other playoffs games. with the Mets. Playoffs. Let's, you're talking playoffs with the Mets. <laughs> so, after the bullpen meltdown, as I said, uh, the uh, the um, the Padres end up losing. Um, in the uh, loss to the Astros, Otani uh, had a good game. He struck out nine, one run as a pitcher. Uh, he goes 0 for 4 at the plate. That won't be the norm. Uh, but it was a good game over there uh, with the Angels. Astros winning their 10th straight opening day. It's a record. Uh, a lot of people think Houston will be – uh, a little bit worse than they were last year. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Astros. Well, let's see how Justin Furlander does for them. 
He's back. He was injured. He's a little old. We don't know how much he has left, but they gave him some big money to come back. Like, oh, I think a one-year deal, like $25 million. That's significant money, even though it's only on a one-year deal. If Justin Furland is in top form, you know, the Astros should be okay. I agree with that. Um, let's let's cover real quick the Mets. The Mets win five to one. Their free agents, Mark Conan and Marte, drive in runs to support the substitute starting pitcher, Tyler Miguel, as they win five to one. Now, we just talked about Jacob DeGrom and, you know, telling a pitcher he's got to pitch on short notice. This guy did pretty good, Jack. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't told the morning of They used about, what, five, six pitches, the Mets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the bullpen did get it done. You know what's interesting? I don't know what you're going to mention the Kansas City Royals. They won their opener. Yeah. Uh, they have this, the number one prospect in baseball, Bobby Witt Jr. And he might be the player the, this year who's the new sensation in Major League Baseball because so many people were turning out to see him, the mayor, the governor, you know, uh, while they're honoring the Kansas basketball team for winning the NCAA tournament, there's a big buzz going on about Bobby Witt. And then the eighth inning, he hit a double, you know, for the go-ahead run, and the Royals won their opener. And he's the big talk there, Bobby Witt. He could be the next superstar in baseball. So all eyes on him. Even George Brett, who was at the game, was talking in a glowing way, saying he came to see Bobby Witt Jr. play. When George Brett says he's coming to see someone play, you take notice. Hopefully. It'd be nice if the Royals have, you know, some kind of uh, thing to look at as the last few years have not been too kind. 2015, they won the World Series, so they had their day. (laughs) So let's let's get the two other scores in quick because we got Byron backstage right now. Um, Brandon Dury hits a three-run home run as the Reds beat the Braves. As you recall, I picked the Reds to win the division this year. And... The Cardinals destroy, destroy the uh, the uh, la, 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 the Pirates nine nothing. A lot of teams are going to destroy Albert, the Pirates Albert, this year. Albert now. Albert Pujols gets a standing ovation, Jack, on his return to St. Louis. Yeah, I mean, I, like I've said in the past show, I have mixed feelings on Albert Pujols. It was nice that they gave him the ovation. You know, but the way he left St. Louis, uh, just to repeat it quickly, St. Louis offered him when he was a free agent a nine-year contract. He left for a 10-year contract for the same average annual salary for just one more year on the contract. So to me, I think the Cardinals did right by Albert Pujols. They didn't even want to offer him nine years. They went as far as they could go before the Angels off, foolishly offered him a 10-year deal, which didn't work out. But, yeah. Yeah. you know, he left the Cardinals. The Cardinals didn't leave him. The Cardinals did right by Pujols. And he had his right. He has his right to leave. But, you know, I wish he'd stay the Cardinals his whole career because he would have been as revered as Stan the Man Musial had in his whole career at St. Louis. But he made a decision. But it was nice he's back in St. Louis. They gave him a nice salvation. And you know it's it was it was good to see. Hopefully, he does some work for him, and and they they benefit from him being there. Yeah. Backstage right now, folks, we got NFL analyst Byron Williams, former star wide receiver in the NFL, few teams, but especially with the New York Giants. Let's bring him up and see how Byron's doing today. 
How we doing, Byron? Let's get you in here. Right, yeah. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. You're having Byron on. I just want to vent very quickly to Byron about an NFL thing. Very quickly. Mac and myself were just talking about <clears throat> Albert Pujols coming back for the Cardinals, end of his career. But Pujols might be able to help the Cardinals. I hate when these players like Frank Gore come back to a team like Gore's coming back to the 49ers, signing these silly one-day contracts so they could say, I retired with my team. They're not retiring with their team over these stupid one-day contracts. They're retiring from another team. Who cares to get a piece of paper? You know what I mean? Uh, it's like seeing a woman on the street corner, you're single and signing a one-day marriage contract and saying, that was my wife. I mean, it's ridiculous. Well, it's ridiculous. It, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you, Jack. But let me tell you something. It's just like kissing your first girlfriend. You go back and kiss her for the last time and say, hey, I did it with this team. Majority of our plays were with this team. I want to sign. I want to. I want to retire from this team, and that's the. I guess that's the objective of them doing that. Yeah, symbolism. It's all about symbolism, I guess. So, so Byron, let's let's get to a few things I want to cover with you. And I, you're invaluable to the show because you were actually playing in the NFL for for quite a long time, and you know the ins and outs and what happens and the drafts and the and and the you know the uh, the camps and how it is to become a, a starting NFL player, which a lot of people. You know, they don't. They really don't. They can sit back and report it. They can talk about it. But really, the, the knowledge that you get, your experience, normally trumps that kind of stuff. So every year, it seems to me, Byron, right? And and I think this was true back in the day when you played, too. When you're coming up for the draft, a lot of teams will have you come in personally, talk to you, interview you, have you do a few things with the team. And it seems like especially this year because I'm paying more, maybe because I'm paying more attention. The sports media grabs this up. They go crazy with it. The fans get all excited. They're all stressed out because they're talking to a certain prospect. To me, this is a bunch of no news, right? Every team that is interested in prospects, and there's more than one, is going to have that player in to interview and talk to them and all that stuff. Am I wrong or is this you know something new or something? No, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I think if teams are interested in the, in the skills and the talent of a player, they definitely want to get the norm, make sure that all the I's are dotted and T's across. They want to make sure with their work habits, they want to know everything about their family, the history. You know, I, I was telling kids when I go into the high school, they they go back and dig into your third grade, fourth grade, you know, and, and uh, background just to see what kind of what kind of person you really are because they see over the course of the years, are you something, are you someone that's going to fit into the pattern of our team, the mission of our team? And then are you going to set a good example? So I think they, they do a good job on, on the research and background check as well. And that's something that they've been doing for years. I mean, they go in and talk to your high school coaches and I mean, almost everything they know about you. If you got arrested, if you, what group of people you hang out with. I mean, everything that uh, that you've been a part of in your life, they want to know. They want to know how smart you are, uh, your decision-making skills as well. So it, it's, it's in-depth. And I think it's something that's really good that they dig into the character of, a, of every individual. And every team almost do this uh, before yeah. they draft them. I mean, they have to fit into the pattern of the player that they really want because, as you can see, 
you you don't you don't see a whole lot of uh of guys that that doing certain things that they used to do maybe five or ten years ago because now these guys are more in depth of adding value to the team because it's so important to to them you know the, these teams don't want to be in the media in the off season so these things are very important because it draws attention to you know to your club and then if if it's not if it doesn't fit into the chemistry of what we're looking for or what these teams are looking for, then they, they skip some guys, even though their talent and skill set is better than this other player. It's just that they think this other player would be a better fit for what they're looking for. No, it's interesting you say that. I mean, I'm not a believer in what they do, but so, when Lawrence Phillips came out of the draft, he was number six overall, got picked by the Cardinals. And I remember a scout saying after he was drafted that he was a pure hoodlum, okay, after. And unfortunately, Lawrence Phillips, it didn't work out at all. So that scout had nailed it. I think in rare cases, yes, you do have to look at the character when it's obvious on a guy. But I think they overdo it. I think just look at the game films. They could speak to his high school coaches. High school coach might be a knucklehead. I've known coaches who've lacked character themselves. They have an ax to grind because they've gotten into disputes with players. I mean, Mac, you coached, okay, on a high school level. And imagine an NFL scout came to you and there was a kid who was maybe a little argumentative with you at the time, but he matures over the next few years, you know, for whatever reason. It's just in his personality to be a little combative, but he's really not that bad a kid. But some coaches are going to take it personal and they'll badmouth the kid. It's like someone goes, applies for a job and they ask to give a recommendation. And why would you want to find out from someone you don't know about someone you're potentially going to hire? Because I just don't like the whole system with the NFL. They don't do it in baseball look into all these things. They don't even do it in the NBA, but the NFL wants to look into the third grade, Byron. That's yeah, crazy, they, the third grade. I mean, if I had the skills, I never would have gone to the NFL based on that. Yeah, but but it, it's just something that they've been doing uh, over, over the course of the years. I think it's something that's part of it. It's, it's more in, in tune to the scouting department. So they have people to research these, these guys. And, you know, and if you talk to think about it, Jack, it's only 110, 120 kids that make the NFL every year. I mean, it's not like you having three or four, 500 guys coming to the NFL every year. It's only 1,696 jobs. That's the, it's 2,000 jobs. So the numbers, are, the numbers are not big, but it's just the, the character. But these teams, um, you know, they just dig into your, they just dig into your background. Byron, when your grandsons get old enough, if one of them is good enough to play in the NFL. Yeah, one of these evaluators is going to say their granddaddy was a pain in the butt. Let's not draft them, have anything to do with them. That's what they're basing this nonsense on. Well, I, I, I just think I think they do a good job in, in their in their background checks and their development because, you know, you, you are a part of, of, of something that can be great. And I think it's part of you building your character in the correct way. And I just, you know, that's, and that's plus that's part of society. I think you still got to carry yourself in a productive way. Well, Byron, I, there's two points I have here. Once we went totally away from what I was talking about, because, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, I just, I, I mean, I'll get back to that. First of all, football is a team sport like no other team sport. You have family there. 
Everything you do affects the outcome of practice and the team. And if you get a, a, a player in there that is a little bit more uh, controversial, a little bit more uh, against the rule kind of guy, I'm me, it can disrupt a team. What I, but what I was talking about was that the fans get, for instance, I'll give you an example. Jalen Hurts is the Philadelphia Eagle quarterback. The Eagles recently had one of the top uh, quarterback prospects up there. And the Eagle fans are either getting stressed or excited because they had this quarterback coming and meet. And all I'm trying to say is this is what, as you said, the scouting departments, the front offices do. They want to see if there's something they missed, that maybe they have a good option, a second string that could come along. They want to see uh, if this kid that they're talking about or talking to, they could line up to draft them and trade that draft. Did they say they're going to draft this guy sort of like an Eli Philip Rivers swap? There's so much going on that the fans don't realize that just because they have a quarterback in there that they're going to replace your quarterback or get excited that they're going to replace your quarterback. This is something that goes on all the time with all the teams, Byron. Yeah, no, I yeah, absolutely. They they definitely do that. And, and 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 another thing too, during the season, on your day off, which is Tuesday, uh, Monday they decide to bring in players throughout an all position just yeah. to just to make sure that if somebody get hurt or something happened, you know, you you're gonna be, you know, we got this guy in place. They got a board, they got a board in their in their draft room. Um, with players listed on them, on, and they got dots on them. They even got, they got now they got players on the practice roster. Every player on the practice roster, which they can take and go in and say, we need this player off your practice roster, and they negotiate, and they can get that player off that practice roster. So it's definitely in depth. It's definitely uh, the style of it's, it's it's formed where you know if you need a player, there's a way to get him, and there's a way that we can add value to our team. Then they're gonna try to do that. And that's and that's what they do for his trades and you know they have trade deadlines and things like that. But they have this big board with all these players' names on it anyway. It's it's yeah. always a constant. It's a constant deal. You know, Byron. A couple of years back, I started following this one football player from the University of Maryland. He was a second stringer, uh, running back, and he came out a year early. His agent talked him into doing that, which was a mistake because he would have been the probably the starting running back the year after. The starting running back from Maryland got drafted. He right. didn't. So he got a tryout uh, with the Giants, and he was doing great in practice. I said he could be the number two uh, running back for the Giants. He was doing that good. Uh, this was Joe Judge's first year. Mm -hmm. And uh, they ended up, you know, I, I talked to his mom. He had all the equipment from the Giants that people don't realize. The football team sends you equipment to work out with in the offseason. People don't realize this, all the stuff that goes on. The Giants actually packaged up their workout equipment with the playbook and sent it to his house so that yeah. he could work out the type of workout they want him to do, the, the plays they want him to, you know, to, to, to look at. This is There is a lot of money spent. And a lot of things done, even if you're a walk-on uh, rookie free agent. So yeah. he didn't make in the team, Byron. I don't know. In fact, I don't even know what happened to him, to tell you the truth. He was still working out, still wanting to get back in the NFL. I hope he's still playing football. But he was a very talented kid. I think he was 7.5 yards per carry, broke punt returns for touchdowns, kickoff returns for touchdowns. But they just didn't have enough room for him. So, yeah, I mean – 
I mean, people just don't realize, even being a walk-on, what you have to go through to try to make a team. And that's why when you look at people that, you know, that have made teams as walk-ons and have become starters and great players, there's a lot of them. But, man, it's 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 a crazy situation in the NFL. It is. And, and, and getting a chance, I had a guy just this week, I played in a golf tournament, and he played semi-pro, and he said he'll send me all kind of tapes and film and asked me to look at him and see what what his skill sets look like. He's 23 years old. One of the first things I always ask these guys, how old are you? You know, how much experience you got? What's your competition that you're playing up against? It's a lot of things goes into the equation because just because you 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 scoring two or three, four touchdowns a game and you get to, against this guy and this team doesn't mean that you can go to the next level because there's a skill set and there's competition that's based in there. But, you know, one thing about these scouts, the scouting department and the NFL, they're going to take a serious, serious look at you, and they'll let you know right off that, you know, you, you might be rated as a 12 versus rated as a 1. So it is really, it's really, um, really precise on how they go in and evaluate the, your, your abilities and your talents and things like that. So, uh, But it's in-depth. It's a whole lot of football players. I tell people all the time, there's a lot of football players out here. And uh, the, the, and it's a thin line on you making it and not making it, and and so you just got to be you got to be patient. You got to know the right people. You got to go to the right team, and you know at the competition level that you play against, it's a lot of things that that um, in the equation. Yeah, right place, right time, Byron. Right Byron, place, the right tryouts still exist. I know decades ago. Major League Baseball, they'd have teams would have tryouts. You could just walk in off the street. Right. You could try out. And if you look good, maybe there's a slim chance to get a minor league contract somewhere. Does the NFL have such a thing like an open tryout that any John Smith could come in off the street and try to exhibit skills as a wide receiver, a defensive back, or whatever? I know the chances of making a team a, a, an extreme long shot, you know, but do they even have that option for the public? Not hardly. That's nothing. NFL doesn't hardly have any more trials no more. They they do in the Canadian Football League where the players come in and pay $100 and they go out and try out and they, they have about nine different camps across the country. And they doing it. Um, they don't hardly have it in the NFL anymore because of the social media and things that they know real fast about uh, the background of these players. So trials is, is have kind of gone uh, by the wayside in the National Football League, but in, in the Canadian Football League and some of these other leagues that they have, they do have some trials. Yeah, the the open the open league trials. I remember. Uh, I remember um, George Allen used to have them for the Redskins. We're going way back now. I know the yeah. Giants used to have it. I know, uh, but that you're talking back in the '70s and stuff, where you know today it's so technical. They, I don't, I don't think they would even bother doing that anymore. Um, yeah, well, I, know the Cowboys, I, was, I know the Cowboys had 400, three or 400 people at their trials oh, back yeah. in the day. It'd be a lot of players going out there, and then I never forget this. One of the guys from my hometown, he had a certificate from the Cowboys that he went out and and, and tried out. And he's still having on his wall to this day. Sure. That was in the 70s, the early 80s. Well, there's only one position quickly where I'd give some, a player a reasonable chance as a walk-on. That would be as a kicker. That would be cut and dry. Like if someone could punt the ball a long way, 
he'll get the scouts attention and then I'll see how he could do it under pressure. I mean, cause that's cut and dry a field goal kicker. That's the only position I could see. Yeah. Right. Right. And can you imagine on every level from uh, NIA and uh, division one, division two football, it's so many players that plays yeah. football and uh, it, it, it's just a lot of competition. Yeah. A lot of people that have thoughts of grandeur, you know, when they, either start trying to play football, thinking about the NFL, or the parents think that their kids are going to be an NFL player, the overall odds of you making, just making a team, is almost none. So, I mean, yeah. you've, really, yeah. you've, you've really got to make the right moves. Uh, Byron, and, so let's- let, me, let me say this, too. I went to a, I went to a, a, a youth league competition. They had over 6,000 kids, over 300 teams back in Florida in December, and these parents are thinking that their kids are playing in the National Football League. They went all this stuff, and they, you know, they dressing the kids like the NFL players. But um, they only dreaming is false hope on some of your uh, on uh, that you're giving to your kids. Yeah, yeah, it, it's 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 very very very. I mean, winning the lottery in some cases is better odds. So let's talk a little bit about Debo Samuel's, one of the most dynamic wide receivers slash running back slash kick returners. So everything. Every time the man touches the ball, he's electric. He never he never stops running, even when he's on the ground. He breaks big plays. He's 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 probably to me he was he was an MVP candidate last year, no question. But of course, he's coming up on his contract extension. He's coming off that rookie year, and as he's talking to, with the contract negotiating, he pulls all the red, red uh, the uh, San Francisco 49ers stuff off his Instagram account. What is this new thing, Byron? What what does that accomplish? You pulling that off, all your stuff off your Instagram page, like like Kyle Murray did. Now he's doing it. I mean, if I was a GM, Byron, I said either put that stuff back on your thing or we ain't talking anymore. I'm not <laughs> playing games with you, man. This is a contract negotiation. If you want to play games, go go on the schoolyard to play games. I get he wants money. I get all the big and 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 the thing about it is Lynch said that he's gonna sign. Uh he will sign Samuels. He is gonna sign their also their all-star uh defensive player Bosa. He's gonna do it. But that was before Tyreek Hill, Stefan Diggs, you know, Adams, all these big contracts has now changed the dynamics for Debo. What do you think is going to happen there? Well, I, I hope they, you know, just call him in and put him to the side and say, hey, look, you you are a guy. You, we, we're going to definitely get your contract done. You know, what you did this past year is amazing. Every team is looking for a player like you. We, we you know, you're definitely the future of our, our offense, of our team. You know, you ain't got to do this. But when they do that, you know, they – it's it's kind of like being a little kid grabbing their candy and stuff and saying, "Hey, you know what about me?" And then every now and then you sign these contracts coming out of uh, uh, coming out of college, and then you sometimes have to wait your turn. But there is a process in the way you negotiate, and so I just think he went he going by it the wrong way. But you know, I'm still old school in so many ways. But yeah. unfortunately, I, I just think if you just just wait, man, they're gonna they're gonna get his contract to him within the next. 12 months. I mean, he's going to get guaranteed money. He's going to be one of the highest paid uh, wide receivers slash running back, uh, yeah. special, special player. So I don't understand him doing that, but 
I guess this is their way of getting it, their attention. We are living in this social media world now, and this social media has driven everything, and it, it's becoming crazy. It's 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 nonsense to me. Yeah, listen, the man is the man is electric. I mean, I you know I'll put him up there with with Adams and Hill and and easily with Diggs. I mean, yeah. the 49ers would be fools to let him go. And if they did, that dude's going to be scooped up in a minute. I, why? Why? Act that way, just yeah. And plus, it's still you no. Know, you're still in the off season. We ain't got to the draft yet. I mean, you got uh, Jimmy G down with 25 million uh, of, of, of of salary that they can come in and they probably may may might make a trade right before the draft or something. I don't know. It's still a lot of a lot yeah. of things to do to get to get to for the 49ers in the next month or so as well. One thing about doing this show. As we talk, sometimes my philosophy does change a little bit. And one of the ways it's changing is talking to you guys and talking to Jim. I wouldn't invest a, a lot, a lot of money in any position other than quarterback. I mean, if you're a Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, you have to go overboard. But even what the Buffalo Bills did with Stefan Diggs, paying him close to $25 million a year, I know he's a top-of-the-line receiver, but when you have Josh Allen and if you have a good offensive line, you can't, can't replace them. You don't necessarily need the most electric, dynamic receiver. They're not at that type of money. You could maybe use it in, in other positions. So I'm getting mixed feelings. You know, even Debo Samuel, what are they going to pay him exactly? If they're paying him close to quarterback type money, I wouldn't do it. But yeah, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I think a good example of that is what happened to the Houston, Houston, Houston Texas team. You know, when the uh, the Andre Hopkins when he left Houston, they just went bottomed out. I mean, they did, they went from being a, a playoff team to now you're losing these key players and you don't have no offense, you don't have no replacement players to come in and and make some things happen. So it, it, I think these these general managers and 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 these personnel guys got to make something happen that's consistent with making sure their team be competitive to go to the playoffs and win because that's what people are buying. They buying excitement, and you got to somehow create a way to keep these players and not just let them, you know, drift off or draft uh, uh get get into a into a, a situation where you're losing good quality players, a top ten player or uh, impact player. You know, two things, what Jack said about Stefan Diggs. The Bills did not take off till Stefan Diggs got there. They were an okay team. When right. Stefan Diggs got there, the Bills took off. I'm not saying it's just because of him. I'm right. saying the threat. So I think Stefan Diggs is a vital player. But I don't blame – I don't feel sorry, let's put that this way, for the, for the teams. They're shooting themselves in the foot. Now, I know you're an NFLPA representative, but if this GM or owner is going to give this – wide receiver, $30 million a year, then the other team's got to respond in one way or another. So just like baseball now, they're the ones that control the market, really. If you're not going to sign this guy, if they got together, which I don't know if it's legal, to say, listen, this is where we're going to stop paying wide receivers. If they all did that, then you wouldn't have this, right? You wouldn't have this problem of one receiver trying out to the other. So it's their own fault, really. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, if you think Tyreek Hill is worth $35 million a year or whatever the hell he's making now, which is ridiculous. Now you just set the you set a mark. Same thing with Watson. Yeah. 
You set the mark. Now what do you do? So they have nobody to blame but themselves. And I think he's getting paid more like twenty five million. Whatever it is, Jack is still ridiculous. I mean, that's a record for receivers. What he's yeah. So I mean, listen, listen, it's their own fault. And no, and 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 one other point. The teams make mistakes when they do this. You look at Amari Cooper, right? Amari Cooper, though he is a great wide receiver, seemed like when the biggest uh, the biggest things came up as far as the team, he checked out. So now he's gone, and I think Dallas took a step forward by kind of taking a step back and maybe getting rid of your bigger stars makes the team more solid, Byron. Yeah, and, and even Mike and Tom, uh, the, the, the receiver down in New Orleans, I mean, he didn't play last year. So, right. you know, you you make mistakes. You know, they you see the mistakes that they're making out here. They, they might even have to come up with some type of cap or something just so you can, you know, so you can save or uh, save the team or save some money because, you know, overpaying these players and then they don't play all year is, is crazy too. So these guaranteed contracts, uh, maybe some of these contract uh, negotiations getting out of, out of hand. No, you know what it is? It takes just one signing by a team at a high price to change the whole salary structure for that position. Then the other players want to match it. Okay, they don't want to go on there, and then the team eventually matches it, and then the next guy wants to get to that place, and it goes on and on and on. That that's what happens. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so the owners have done it. I mean, they can't resist that one big, big signing, and it usually doesn't work out unless it's a quarterback. That, that's the only position I can understand because, like, the Chiefs are never going to get a guy like a Patrick Mahomes. It's highly unlikely. Or the Packers, Aaron Rodgers. You got to give in in those cases, but right. everyone else is replaceable at their position. I hate to say it. Even Derrick Henry with the Titans, when he was out, they won. They won games. They had a running attack because the offensive line was blocking. And Derrick Henry's great. Don't get me wrong. Well, he, well, Jack, Jack, you mentioned Aaron Rodgers and you know Patrick Mahomes. Neither one of them went to the Super Bowl last year. Byron, if if you you know. We ain't got a lot of time, but I just want your general impression. What the hell is up with Pete Carroll? He's no longer a head coach and GM uh, of the Seattle Seahawks. He is now a social activist uh, speaking on behalf of what other teams should do and owners should do when he just doesn't do it. I don't know what's up with Pete Carroll. You know, he's, he's 70, some, 70 years old, and, you know, I, I just think, you know uh, – Sometimes these guys get beside themselves, but you know, at the, at, at the end of the day, you still talk on X's and O's, and you know, you sometimes you know he was talking against the owner out there. I don't, I don't know why uh, they haven't let him go, really, because I think the team have looked really bad. I mean, at the end of the season last year, the Seahawks didn't weren't even making tackles. I mean, they quit playing. You know, they traded Bobby. You know, Bobby Wagner. It's a lot of things that happened out there in Seattle that didn't even make sense. I mean, the team was really close to being a a, a good competitive team. Uh, now, now it's just like all hell and broke loose out there in Seattle. Um, I don't know what Pete Carroll is doing. It's just you know, Bobby Wagner after being ten years with the Seahawks and making what eight Pro Bowls. Bobby yeah. Wagner said it would have been nice had they at least called me and told me, you know, I was being released not finding out on social media. 
I just wonder with Pete Carroll, I hate his grandstanding. He's telling off the owners about not having minority hirings. Meanwhile, out of the nine coordinators, major coordinators, offense and defense combined, six of the nine were white who he hired. So what's he talking about? You know, he's reprimanding the owners when he was in a position to do something himself. And then he reprimands people about the Colin Kaepernick situation. Yeah. Well, put Colin on your team then. Put him on as a backup. I mean, it's just, I hate his grandstanding. I mean, he's making yeah. a fool out of himself. Yeah, I, you know, yeah. I, 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 I really think so. And I think... You know, not to mention that a lot of people, a lot of coaches got fired last year because of Seattle's performance, and some of them were minorities too. Jets, second year for Zach Wilson. What do you see for the Jets, Byron? Does he improve a lot, or did he get too beat up last year? What's going to happen with Zach? I think I think he should improve because I think he got a good head coach. I think uh, he got great talent. I, I think you just got to put some good weapons around him. I think they got to. A couple of good, better receivers. Now I think he he would do better. I just they need to keep him healthy. They need to protect him, and I think he he got all the tools and everything it takes to to come in and make it make some a huge uh, you know impression with the NFL. I think he's great talent. I think he's one of the best young quarterbacks, and and uh, the skill sets that he has is, is great. So I I look for great things out of them, and you know the Jets gonna be competitive. I I, I really believe. You'll see a different look uh, when you when you see the Jets play this year. DK Metcalf would he be a good thing for the Jets? They'd have to give him a major contract that would be similar to Stefan Diggs, which would take up money under the cap. Exactly, I think that that'd be a great move. They can get a DK Metcalf over there. It will, it will be it will be great. It's a good market uh, over there in New York, and I think the Jets would be looked at differently, and they'd be very competitive. And I think people will have to just say, hey, we got to really take a serious uh, stab at trying to play against the Jets because the Jets would be very competitive. They, if they need have an impact player like that and add with Zach Wilson, I think that would be perfect for, for that team. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, Giants are putting all their chips in the table on Daniel Jones. They had opportunities to make trades, to do that. They, they decided not to do that. Um, May 2nd, I think, is the deadline for the fifth-year mm -hmm. option signing. I, I would imagine they're going to do it because they really made no moves to to counter that. Uh, Daniel Jones this year, new system. Uh, the Bill system is kind of going to be brought into the Giants' offense. Questionable receivers, questions at running back, questions on the offensive line. Byron, uh, what do you think Daniel Jones does this year? Well, they don't made a decision to, to go with him. Um, and I think, you know, hopefully he going into his – Going into his fourth year, um, he could play well uh, as well. Uh, I think um, they they got to get maybe if they put him in the same offensive setting that that uh, Allen is have in Buffalo, maybe get the ball out quicker, uh, more options, um, more run option, maybe moving around it, a little bit more protection in the offensive line as well. I think they made the decision to go with him. Evidently, they um, they don't evaluate him, and I think they made the decision. So now we just move forward. With, with the right style of offense and uh, make sure that uh, the players are all hitting on all cylinders. And I think, um, you know, these receivers can stay healthy with the Giants. You know, he ain't been able to throw the ball to any any consistent uh, healthy receivers. And so now, you know, they got to get a new tight end. 
and they got to address that, and then they got to also address the offensive line in a couple of spots. But I think if they can do that, um, Saquon Barkley and everybody should be good. You know, why do we take the burden off a quarterback like Daniel Jones by saying he had no one to throw the ball to? Why can't they say they had no one to throw the ball to them? As far as Daniel Jones goes, come on. You, you know, you're making up excuses. He's had three years. He's had flashes where he's looked good the same way Sam Donald did. I mean, I'm tired of these excuses. He's had different coaches, different coordinators, the whole bit. You know, you have to show a little more than Daniel Jones has. And I get the feeling their coach, Brian DeBall, he's been saddled with Daniel Jones this year. He got the job based on him having to develop Daniel Jones. And if he doesn't do it, that's not his guy. I get the feeling Brian DeBall would have went in a different direction. He would have went with Mitch Trubisky as a starter if he was allowed to. But he couldn't do that, so Trubisky went to the Steelers. So, uh, so another thing too, you just said it. You just said that all the different coaches that he had, had and I mean, and injuries and things like that. That was a key factor as well, too, Jack. So there you go, Byron sticking up for Daniel Jones. Me, I had the lunches out. I think this is his year. If he don't do it this year, I don't care. If he's we injured. hold it against Byron. This we're gonna hold Byron accountable. Byron is basically saying Daniel Jones is going to the Pro Bowl next year. That's what he's basically saying. Wow. I'm going to throw wow. the whole Byron to that. Wow. wow. I think the Jazz will win at least 50% of their games. Okay. They'll go at least eight and nine, the nine and minimum, well, there's 17 games. So that minimum of eight and nine, let's call that. Well, that, that's okay. a big it's possible. Listen, it's possible. That's I mean, a big improvement, too. So I just think if they could just get their offensive. Like I said, the line and get some key receiver, get a good tight end. Um, and the draft this this year draft is a good good group of talent. Yeah. I mean, uh, yep. I'm excited about this year draft. I think these players, this one of the best overall group of to pool of talent coming out of college in a long time. They go number five and number seven. They're gonna they, get two. Driving they, they, they say that every year since the 1986 <laughs> for God's sake. The best that. draft class is 1983. The best draft class is 1983. Just look at right. that. <laughs> there you go. Now you're talking. Uh, folks, just for the record, you would have taken in that draft Dan Marino ahead of Jim Jeffcoat, right? If you were the Cowboys. No, Jim Jeffcoat, but I, I can't say nothing bad against Ooh. him. They've, they've, oh. been, they've been going to war on J&B a little bit because <laughs> of a guy named Jack Hurst. Byron, have a great day. Glad you came in. Uh, we'll see you next Sunday. Everybody look for Byron Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central on J&B Talking Shop with his co-host, the great Jim Jeffco. Byron, thank you for coming in as you do every Sunday. Every Friday. Well, every Friday. Oh, that's yeah, right. Well, yeah. maybe we'll start having you on Sunday too. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know what what I'm doing. So you know, that's how you I guys do. are the best. I appreciate y'all. Y'all have a great Take weekend. Care. Byron, care. have a great one. Thank you, buddy. All right. So there you go, folks. The great Byron Williams blessing us studio with his extreme knowledge of the NFL inside and out. Folks, we're going to take a quick break. On the other side, we'll have Keith Angle. From TGI Sports Talk, talking college, talking Patriots, talking uh, Yankees a little bit, a little baseball. We'll have a little fun with them, um, as I do every week. So, folks, we're going to be right back after these quick messages. Oh. 
My baloney has a first name. It's O S C A R. My baloney has a second name. It's M A Y E R. Oh, I love to eat it every day. If you ask me why, I'll say, 'Cause Oscar Mayer has a way with B L O G N A. Oscar Mayer, the first name in Bologna. How's that? If you served honorably in our nation's armed forces and you're looking for a way to continue serving your fellow veterans in your community, then join AMVETS. Each year, AMVETS members volunteer millions of hours at VA healthcare facilities from coast to coast, helping to improve the lives of their fellow veterans through the VA Voluntary Services Program. AMVETS posts and departments also participate in a wide variety of community service projects, ranging from Americanism in our schools to supporting the Special Olympics and Boy Scouts of America. If you no longer wear the uniform today, you can still serve through the AMVETS by joining today at AMVETS.org. It certainly is a big bun. It's a very big bun. Big fluffy bun. It's a very big fluffy bun. Where's the beef? Tom Hamburger places give you a lot less beef on a lot of bun. Where's the beef? At Wendy's, we serve a hamburger we modestly call a single. And Wendy's single has more beef than the Whopper or Big Mac. At Wendy's, you get more beef and less bun. Hey, where's the beef? I don't think there's anybody back there. You want something better? Your Wendy's kind of people. Hi, Grandma. What's for dinner? Hey, honey, I'm making stew tonight. Ooh, can Nina come over? I'm not sure about our new friend. I wonder if there's been any drinking going on. Alcohol at her age can lead to so many bad things. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! This is hard. She's so young. But I know I need to talk to her about it now before someone tries to give her alcohol. If anyone ever does offer you a drink, I want you to say no. I have too much respect for my family, and I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. Really? I promise, Grandma. I love you too. Okay. How about tasting the stew and telling me what you think? Mmm. Some children may try alcohol as young as nine years old. It's not too early to talk about drinking. For tips on how to begin the conversation, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by Samsa and this station. Here comes the king. Here comes the big number one. Budweiser beer, the king is second to none. Just say Budweiser. You've said it all. Here comes the king of beer, so lift your glasses. Here we go. Budweiser beer's the one that's leading the rest. And Beachwood Aging makes it beer at its best. When you say Budweiser, it takes the town here. So loud and clear. There's only one Budweiser beer. When you say Bud, you've said it all. If you talk and they will hear you every single time. Now we're getting killed. Yeah, well, Kyle's not here. How come? Kicked off the team. Didn't Tim tell you? Kyle and some other kids got caught drinking beer in the park a couple nights ago. Real? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Come on, it's a first offense, right? That we know of. But why should that matter? He knew not to drink. I've made it clear to Matt. That's what we expect from him. What have you said to Tim? Um, nothing really. You know, a lot of kids try it at this age, so. I... Yeah, well, a lot of kids don't try it too. I'm not saying that Matt's gonna be this perfect kid, but if I don't tell him what we expect and why he shouldn't drink, 
How's it going to know? You think kids that age really listen? <laughs> they never admit it, Bill, but they hear more than you think. Talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with kids about underage drinking, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. This is a presentation of Northeast Streaming Sports. Good morning. You're listening to the Mac and Jack Sports Show on Northeast Streaming Sports. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Mac and Jack Sports Show. This is our Friday edition. I'm your host, Mac, with your co-host, Jack Hurst. Jack, Norman Keith is pretty uh, pretty uh, punctual. I didn't tell him I sent the link, but that shouldn't stop him from coming in, I don't think. I think he knows that we want him in. So I'm going to message him real quick to see if he's going to make it or not. And Mac, I'm in. I know you're in, Jack. I'm talking about Keith. Okay. So I thought you meant Jack is pretty punctual. I got to go to the replay. I thought you mentioned my name. I could have. I said Jack Keith is pretty punctual. About oh, Keith. okay. I mean. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and if he says, you, you didn't tell him you sent the link, I'm going to give him hell when he comes in. You know, it's like, uh, there he is. There he is. Speak of the devil himself. I don't know how good a guest Keith has been lately because he's been agreeing with me all the time. You I know, know. That's, not, that's not good for ratings. Well, you know, Keith you gotta Keith, have some disagreement going on. Well, he's been disagreeing with me to a point of uh, almost you know arguments for God's sake. I didn't know Keith was I such like a- I enjoy you guys going at it about Aaron Judge, you, Mac, you and Keith going at it yes, with yeah. Aaron Judge and Garrett Cole. You think Garrett Cole's been a complete flop as a Yankee. Yes. Keith is defending Garrett Cole. I enjoy yes. you, you guys going at it. I, I yes. just step back and listen. Yes, because you know my thoughts of an ace pitcher and a, a, a face of a team is a, a little bit different than Keith's, but it doesn't mean he's wrong. It just means it's not, it just means that's <laughs> what I right, right. So, uh, but anyway, I obviously jump the shark if I'm agreeing with with uh, Jack every week. Yes, I mean. yes. Well, listen, Jack needs a little a little love every now and then, anyway, Keith. So there's nothing wrong. <laughs> so, Keith, you know the college basketball is closed out. Just want to get your final thoughts. I mean, I know we've been talking about it. You talk about it on your show, The College Huddle, and I yep. imagine that will turn into the college football as, as it gets rearing up and ready to go. I, I got to make an pivot. Yep. Yeah. A subject. I got a subject on that too, but give us your final thoughts on the NCAA championship. Keith. I think it was one of the better tournaments we've had in, in, in quite a few years, you had some Cinderella's early on, you end up with blue bloods in the final four, which as that's what the networks want, right? They want upsets early, but they still want the programs that people want to see in a final four. You had a classic uh, game in the Final Four with NC State. I'm sorry, NC and uh, Duke. Um, first playing in a tournament for the first time ever, and it was a back-and-forth game with 20-some lead changes. And You couldn't ask for a better way for K- Coach K to go out other than the fact that he lost. 
Um, Hubert Davis was a big story, replacing a legend and getting off to a rocky start this year uh, in, in in some people's minds and riding the ship at the right time. Even though they lost the final to Kansas, um, you know, they played great basketball through the month of, uh, of February and March, and they ran into a buzzsaw in Kansas. Kansas is an interesting story in itself. They were obviously the best team in the tournament as we got, you know, as, as we moved on. Um, but there's still a cloud hanging over their head with the NCAA and the FBI investigations, and they're going to come down, and it, it's going to be a, a matter of whether it taints this championship, taints Bill Self, who's really the only guy who's come out of this unscathed so far. All the, all the programs have been investigated. He's the, still, he's the only guy standing. Yeah, and uh, it's going to be interesting if uh, what happens there. If the Cinderella story of the tournament, I believe most people believe, is St. Peter's. Now, the St. Peter's coach leaves to go to his alma mater, okay, Seton Hall, and now this number of the players on St. Peter's are entering a transfer portal. If they right. go to Seton Hall, something is in kosher. Well, we don't know that they're going to go to Seton Hall, but I'm not surprised that number one. Coaches like uh, in Holloway's situation um, invariably end up getting a better job. If it's not that year, it's a year later um, or soon after. And coaches – and the one place I'm okay with players leaving in the transfer portal is when their coach leaves. Now, to your point, Jack, if <laughs> – that's the one thing with the transfer portal. If, if, it's a, if it's a tool for them to get with Holloway and, and Seton Hall, well, then – that's probably kind of towing the line about what should be, you know, legit there. So it remains to be seen where they're going to go. Um, but three of their best players, and they're going to have, you know, Seton Hall's going to have some trouble reloading next year with a new coach and, you know, re replacing three of their uh, better players. Yeah. At least. Yeah, very true. So we'll see what happens with develops over there at Seton Hall. A little NCAA football news. Jim Kelly comes out and says that, He's, he, he's complimenting LSU and his modernization over there, their program and how, you know, up to date it is. And backhand in Notre Dame saying he did not want to wait from Notre Dame to catch up because it's, it's too slow modernizing over there. Of course, it had nothing to do with the money at all. No, not even a little bit. Listen, I, I still think Chip Kelly, I think he's a bit disingenuous all the time. I think I don't think he really means a lot of the things he says. Um, and I think he made a fool. I think of all the coaches that have moved recently, this might be the most foolish move of anybody. Cause he, if it's about money, he was going to get his money at Notre Dame. And if he wins one national championship there, uh, before his career is over, he'll be a God. Lou Holtz is still a God. He only won one national championship. Very true. Um, but going to LSU, he's got unrealistic expectations at, at a university that thinks they should be a national championship contender every single year, as you saw now. And there was other issues with with uh, or, Orgeron, but uh, still, you know, he gets fired a, a year after he wins a national championship. Plus, the competition in the SEC is just a step above anybody else right now. And he's going to – I wouldn't be su surprised to see Chip Kelly – championshipless and jobless and then he'll get another one you know in three years because you don't get that long to turn things around anymore in college sports for yeah, sports I, I i believe i believe a lot what you said you know you look at you look at uh you look at um the, 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 uh the head coach of michigan his name is kate jim harbaugh 
who, yeah. you know, he brings Michigan close and, and they're all over him. I mean, he didn't even win the national championship. It took him quite a few years to do that. Uh, Notre Dame is at a disadvantage. I, I will admit that because of their strict uh, curriculum they run there and, and you know, the way they, they do business different than other colleges because they're well, very they requirements yeah, too. Yeah, they're very they're very into to, to religion and, and, and they're very much into the education part there. But they do have a decent team. They don't have a great team anymore. They have a decent team. And, you know, one year, all it takes is one year. And I think you're right. Jim Kelly would have been would have been, you know, like the, the Pope over there for at least a year. And and he would have been looked upon as one of the greatest coaches in Notre Dame history, which is quite a uh, quite a uh, achievement or quite a, uh, a ring of honor to to be in, inside of. So, uh, you know, and but Keith, maybe he's smart. Too. I look at it, too. Maybe he's smart. Because the SEC is going to end up breaking away from the NCAA eventually. All the good teams are going to be there. And maybe that's the, the move to make. I mean, you know, Notre Dame is, I don't think, is going to join a conference. They're, they're going to try and stay independent as long as they can anyway. Um, maybe it's just a good move on that part. Well, listen, Notre Dame obviously wants to protect that TV money. That's one of the reasons they've stayed independent. They don't have to share bowl money with anybody else when they go. It's all theirs. By the way, now I'm agreeing with Carlos, too. What's going on? I mean, am I in an alternate universe here or something going lately? Um, but I really think for Notre Dame, to, if they want to compete for national championships year in, year out, with the changes that are coming, they're going to need to join a league. And the ACC, but who's falling down now, with their TV contract is, is, isn't even up to standards based on some other things that have happened with other conferences and, and the SEC getting stronger they're going to be less relevant and they would have been smart if they held Notre Dame over the barrel last year during COVID when they needed a place to play and play in a conference schedule. And they let them come in for one year and they should have said, you can come in, but you're here for good. It would have been good for Notre Dame. It would have been good for the ACC. I agree. I agree with that too. Um, So baseball started up yesterday. Uh, Yankees Red Sox was postponed because of rain. It did rain like crazy up here. Um, You know, you look at the Mets, both their starting pitchers are having problems or hurt in one way or another. Scherzer still might pitch. DeGrom, they're going to take their time with. And, you know, I don't know how much more years you give with DeGrom either with his injuries. I mean, I, in a, you know, a couple of years now, if it's another year, I, I start getting nervous and I may start wanting to move on for DeGrom too. I don't care how great a pitcher he is if he can't be on the mound. Um, but the guy, the guy comes in, Miguel comes in, fills in good, and they're free agents – those ones they signed uh, come through with some big hits, Keith. So overall, uh, including their their shortstop from last year that Jack doesn't like that they signed, he had a couple of hits too. Um, are the Mets going to be uh, say Scherzer is good to go? Degrom maybe comes back, maybe doesn't. Are the Mets the class of the East right now over there? I don't I don't know if they're class East. I think I think until proved differently, the Braves still are, despite losing Freddie Freeman. Um, the Mets and the Phillies, both are, are teams that have some questions to be answered. The Phillies defense is horrendous, but I think they're going to win a lot of games with their offense and the Mets pitching like a lot of other teams, the Yankees included is a bit thin. And if they get guys who can fill in when DeGrom can't pitch, cause he's out for two months and Scherzer's going to miss some starts here and there. Carrasco and Walker have injury issues or question marks anyway, if they have depth and they can bring in a McGill and some of the, uh, some other kids up from the minors to fill in and they can get quality pitching, this team's defense has improved. 
the timely the, the the approach offensively is going to be improved as you mentioned with some of the off-season additions and Buck Showalter coming in there and changing the culture and having a lot to do with their approach to the game. You saw it last night when Robbie Cano laid down a bunt against the shift. That's that's Buck Showalter to a T right there. And a little thing I noticed with Buck Showalter, when they cut to the dugout a, 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 more than once, you saw him stand in the corner of the dugout watching the game as a Mets were at bat, talking to Francisco Lindor and talking about the situation that they were in and talking about a lot of different things. And that's what Buck Showalter does. Buck Showalter is all about game situations, whether it's your approach at the plate or in the field. And he's going to instill that in his players. And I think you saw him doing that with Francisco Lindor last night. And I think Francisco Lindor rebounds in a big way this year. Just let me make it clear. I like Francisco Lindor as a player. I hate the 10-year contract. I think it's ludicrous. This is his first year of the 10-year contract. He might be fine the next few seasons. I think he will be. The back end of that contract is going to be an absolute disaster for the Mets. Teams already know that, right? And they and they plan for that. So it's it's I I don't you know. Well, they don't they don't plan for that. They're like in La La Land. They think the player can go through most of the contract because they look at the front end of what the player is now. They never project what he's going to be the last few years of that. I disagree. I think they do project that. I think they know they're going to get diminished returns at the end of these contracts. If the, a lot, at least the smart teams do, right? But as far as Lindor goes, well, the I, Red Sox—they're not signing Bogarts. You want to know why? Bogarts will. wants to stay with him. He wants a ten-year deal. And the Red Sox say, "Look at these other teams. Ten-year deals rarely work out. They might do it with Divas, who's a little younger." Okay, and sign him to the deal. You know, Jeter signed a 10-year contract when he was age 25. That's feasible to take it to age 35, but not to take it to close to age 40. Take, you know, you got to take care of your own players if they're really good, by the way. But back to Lindor this year, I think Lindor very possibly could be a sleeper candidate for the MVP in the National League. And the Mets will compete, and I think they'll make the playoffs. I don't think they'll win the division. But I think both the Phillies and the Mets and the Braves make the playoffs out of the East. That's oh, I di- I disagree with that totally. Only one team's going to come from there. That's for sure. I don't I I I don't think they're they're good enough to play to stack up against the West. I really don't. So Who's going to win the West besides the Dodgers and the Giants? Yeah, Padres are terrible. Padres are going to be terrible. Well, who's going to be terrible? The Padres? I disagree Padres. with you. 79 wins last year, and they did improve themselves even a lick in my mind. No, listen, they they came out at they the end. They got Luke Boyd. Almost oh, well, there you go. To my point, they didn't prove themselves even a little bit. So I want to get to some Yankees talk a little bit with you and Jack, because here you're on the same page. Jack made the outlandish statement that the Yankees are <laughs> a losing season this year. Yeah. I've been critical of the Yankees, not as critical as Jack or you. And I, I, want, I want to give you some food for thought after sitting back and, and looking, really analyze, analyzing this team. You can't deny that the Yankees have become better defensively than they were last year. That's that's for sure. They have a better bench than they had last year. You have people coming off the bench that you didn't have last year, including LeMayhew, including uh, whoever you were taking out of the field for that time. They got more options at -hmm. different positions than they had. Mm -hmm. They have five players that could hit over 30 home runs this year. And all they got to do, Keith, is not – have bounce back years. They just got to be a little bit better than they were last year. And I think LeMayu will be a little bit better than he was last year. 
I think Rizzo will be a little bit better than he was last year. I think the left fielder will be a little bit better than he was last year. I think the pitching staff is a little bit better than it was last year, a little bit more deeper. Uh And that was 92 wins last year. So in my opinion, after sitting back, because I wasn't happy that they didn't go sign a big name. And they still have time to do that. And I, I, I predict they will sign a starting catcher before the year starts. Or well, there's no starting catchers left to sign. You got trade before, before the trade before the trade deadline. I think they will get a starting catcher. I think that Audie's still available, Mac. And you say he's the face of the Yankees. I I don't think he could play catcher. If he could, I'd sign him right today. The point of the matter is, Keith. I think you've been overcritical of the Yankees. I think the the Jack has just drank way too much. Uh, you know, lately, I think the Yankees will compete for the division uh, first place this year. Well, let me be clear. I I want to be wrong in everything that I say because I root for the Yankees, obviously, and I don't want them to be bad. But I don't think they've – while they have improved the defense, I'll give you that. Um, I do like the you know the bench, the fact that Torres or or LeMahieu will always be on that bench uh, most likely uh, and a bit able to come off the bench. I like the signing of Marwin Gonzalez. He can play a lot of positions and produce there. Um, I still have question marks, though, about Aaron Hicks. And if Aaron Hicks can't play center field, I don't like the outfield alignment with Stanton in the lineup every day. Um, and maybe they don't have to if Gonzalez can play out there. But more importantly, it's you talked about the home runs. That's awesome. But there's too much bad situational baseball being played by this team. And I don't see that improving with, when Aaron Boone's still the guy calling the shots and not Buck, a guy like Buck Showalter. Well, if you think about it, if you think about it, Keith, what options did did Aaron Boone have last year? He didn't have a bench like he has this year. I'm not saying that. I'm saying instill and teach, and it's a whole coaching staff's issue and Aaron Boone's. Well, they did. They did sign a new hitting coach. Move base runners. Do things that you do to to unless they're hitting home runs, they don't score runs. Well, they did. They did sign a new hitting coach this year. They did. Okay. So, so what I'm saying though, what I'm saying, Keith, at 92 wins last year, I don't think they had a real good team last year. I think they had an okay team. Their pitching staff was statistically second best in the American League. So this year, I think their pitching staff, even if Severino gives you gives you 10 wins, eight wins, it's better than the starting pitching that they had last year. So but I I can't count them even for that. No, you can't. But I'm saying I'm see all I'm saying is I'm not looking for the Yankees to turn things around and become a powerhouse. I'm saying just these if the if the players improve a little bit, a little bit, not a lot, just a little bit, they have a shot. Now a lot of things could go wrong. There's no doubt. A lot of things could go wrong on any team. But I think if you sit back and you analyze the moves they made, though they weren't earth shaking. They made some good moves, and I think they're a better team than they were last year. They're better defensively. Whether they're going to whether they're going to be better, they will be a little better in places offensively. DJ should be better. He played with a sports attorney all last year, and that had it affected his power and some other things. But look at unless they play better situational baseball and the pitching staff stays completely healthy, because behind Garrett Cole, you've got Jordan Montgomery, Severino, Talian, and and uh, Cortez and I can't. Can I say Cort- Nestor Cortez is going to repeat what he did last year? I'd love to see it happen, 
I just don't know that I can count on that happening. And I don't see the, the floor falling out like Jack does. I don't think they're going to finish under 500, but I think they're going to compete or, or be competing for the third place spot with Tampa Bay, who I see regressing a little as well. And being around 84, 85 wins. That's what I see yeah, for this. Yeah, I, I mean, I, that's conceivable. I look 80, 82. If they win 84, yeah, I, 85, I, I, think, I, I think you Chapman. guys. Chapman. You have faith in Chapman, guys, still? I think that's an next fact. And now that you guys mentioned Chapman, I think if, Chapman has lost something. I don't have if, to say faith in him. He'll see more situations uh, in the if, ninth inning. If they yeah. don't use him. Up before the end of the year, yeah, I have faith in Chapman. He's getting older. You can't ask the guy to save every game for you from the beginning to end. They wore him out. They wore out their bullpen every year. Listen, they with all you just said, if Hicks just plays half, say 80% of what he was or 70% of what he was, you have a That's better a team than you had last right. year. So how do you figure they're going to have a worse record than last year? I don't get it. That, that makes no sense. Because I look at all the guys you're counting on. I can't count on Aaron Hicks, okay? I can't. They have improved defensively at shortstop and defensively behind the plate. At they third haven't. base, they've regressed, Keith. Donaldson isn't I, in the level of your shell of at third oh base. Oh, my God, that's ridiculous. That's Listen, ridiculous. I, don't, I, I don't want to compare those two. because Defensively. Donaldson at his peak would be better than Urshela. But, I, again, I'm counting on a guy who's 36 years old or whatever he is. And has, and you talk about Judge not being on the field. Donaldson hasn't played much more than Judge in the last five years. That's true. And I got, I'm, not, I'm not denying it. I'm just so, saying right now. So many ifs. Yeah, there's, uh, so, many, Keith, there's so many. There's so many ifs on every team. No, there's so not many ifs on every team. I'm saying they have a better team overall than they had last year. It makes no sense to say they're going to finish 500. None. I didn't say they're going to finish 500. I said they were going to regress to 85-ish wins. Oh, I said God. they'd finish a couple of games under oh, 500. You, you guys, you guys are you, – you know something? You sound like Red Sox fans right now. I'm sorry to say that. But you sound like the old Red Sox fans right now. Woe is me. Woe is me. I Listen, I've been critical of the Yankees. You know I have on this show. I have been. About Cashman, about Boom, about all of them. But I'm going to be honest. This year's team is better than last year. There's no doubt. And all they got to do is improve a little bit. Just a little bit. And you saw what happened with the Braves. People picking the Braves to win to win the division or win it all this year are out of their damn minds. That ain't happening. They'll be lucky to have first place this year. That was a that was a once in a decade team that got hot at the end. That's all that was. And if you think the Braves last year are better than the Yankees were this year, you're out of your mind too. I'm not so sure I am. Their pitching staff is heads and shoulders above the Yankees' uh, pitching staff. I don't know. Not statistically. Definitely. Not statistically. Definitely. Look at the depth on that starting rotation on the Braves, and look at the Yankees. There's nothing but question marks behind Garrett Cole. Nothing uh, but question marks. You're right. You're right. And I, that's why I say trade him. Trade him and Judge and get, make the team even better, and then they'll go to Wilson. Trade him and Judge, and then yeah, then you will finish under 500, by the way. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, this Judge thing, it has a few hours to go, and they haven't gotten the contract done. And That's if judge. judge is holding to what he's saying, he's a free agent at the end of the year. That means he's probably not coming back. It's probably his last year, because I don't see the Yankees stepping up in free agency and giving him an overwhelming offer because they would have done it by now. They have to realize the Yankees, the urgency in the situation. And if Judge is holding out for more than seven years, it's just not getting done, point blank. 
Agreed. I thought they'd get it done today. They still got nine hours. So, uh, you know, I still thought seven years uh, at 33 million would be the where they'd end up. So we'll see how close I am. And you're right. Guess what? Whether he comes back or not, he's certainly going to cost him a whole lot more money if he has a healthy season. And he needs to for the Yankees to compete, by the way, uh, Mac. Um, they're going to they're either going to lose him or they're going to pay him a whole lot more than seven million for and 33. Uh, I'm sorry, seven years and 33 million. I hope I'm wrong, by the way. I'll be rooting for you to be right here, Mac. I guarantee I I promise you. And I will yeah, come I, on I mean, I'm being that. honest. I'm being honest, Keith, because I've been just as critical, if not more so than you guys, uh, especially last year. I just think they got a better team than they did last year. And all they need is a few players to just improve a little bit. And uh, you know, they could have they can compete for first place. I want to yeah. be coming on here every Friday and eating my words, and I'll be happy to do it if I'm wrong, because yeah. I don't want to be right. Hey, yeah. same with me. I'm on board with you, Keith. I hope I'm wrong, but I get the feeling at the end of the year, I'm going to be gloating once again the way I did last year when I said the Yankees are going to clinch a wild card on the last day of the season. Right. I'm hoping I'm wrong. I'm hoping Max right. sticks it to me all season long. Yeah, just like you gloated when you said the Cleveland Browns were winning the Super Bowl. Keith, have a great day. We'll I see. Then they go to the Super Bowl. Well, yeah, you were you were 100% right there too. So, Keith, we'll uh we'll see you Sunday as you come in and give us our little uh report before we start in this week in sports. We're right at the beginning. I should say Keith, always a pleasure having you on. Keith Angle, host of TGI Sports, great show, great talk. Tune in whenever you get a shot. Just look him up. He's everywhere on Facebook. Keith, have a great day, my friend. Have a great weekend, guys. You too. So there you go, folks. Keith Angle from TGI Sports. Sounding like an old Red Sox fan, just like Jack is right now. Um, you know, oh, we, 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 we. No, yeah. we got to talk a little more Mets, Mac. We're probably losing viewers who follow the Mets. Oh, we, Jack, we've, we've we, listen, them up. Yeah. Mets have made some dynamic moves in the how many times, how many times, last couple of years. How many times last year did we try to talk about the Mets and get Mets guests in here? And they just, I, I just don't know. Now you well, maybe blame the Mets because they haven't exactly done much winning. Yeah, maybe, well, let's see, see if you can get a hold of Stephen Cohen. I heard he's a boxing fan. We'll get him on the show, folks. We'll oh, be I right back. Boxing fan. We'll be right. right back after these messages. With on the other side, the Philly sports guy himself, Jamie Pags, as he enriches us in sports from Philadelphia and more. We'll be right back after these messages. Joe's presents Chester Cheetah. I'm Chester Cheetah. I'm just a cool dude in a loose mood. Until I see those Cheetos. Then my cool turns to drool. My style and ease surrender to my urge for the snack that goes crunch. It's not easy being cheesy. Cheetos cheese flavored snack. Cheese that goes crunch. When you hear the word asthma, you probably think of shortness of breath, coughing, or inhalers. Lots of things can trigger asthma, but the fact is that asthma doesn't just attack, it can kill. But with proper medical management, asthma is controllable. If you experience shortness of breath, wheezing, tightness in your chest, or persistent nighttime coughing, you may have asthma. See your doctor and get the facts. You'll breathe easier. For more information, call 211-INFOLINE. A message from the Connecticut Department of Public Health. Keeping Connecticut healthy. When the job 
is done. This guy will be ready to dig into something mighty good to eat. How do you handle a hungry man? The man handles. One of the man handlers is Campbell's vegetable beef. Gets a man-sized supper off to a good hot start. Mmm, good. The man handlers. We all make choices. When it comes to alcohol, kids make choices whether to drink or not. Bye, Dad. Bye-bye. Remember, I'm going to Alex's party tonight and sleeping over. Hey, uh, have a seat for a second. Remind me about that party again. And adults make choices whether to talk about it. That's true of parents and every other trusted adult in a kid's life. Kids want to know our expectations when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. They want guidance and honest answers to their questions. And it makes a difference when the message is consistent and part of everyday conversations. So talk with your kids and help lead them on a positive path. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. I mean, you can see right now, without LeBron, Lakers are, are struggling. Let me tell you about a team I hate, all right? I know the Dallas Cowboys fan is here, so I had to make sure he knew how much I hate this Oh, team. I'm ready. I've often said that the people who run baseball, they try very hard to ruin it. I'm from Brooklyn. I don't have a problem saying it to his face. Oh, from Brooklyn. Hey, guess any. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to the Mac and Jack Sports Show on live Roku, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, all over the place now. Upgraded the board, so we're all over the place going live right now. Uh, backstage right now, we got our favorite guest that comes on every week. Not only knowledgeable about sports, involved in all kinds of charities all over the country following his Philadelphia teams. I mean, if you want to know something about Philly sports, don't listen to or read the Philadelphia Voice or Philadelphia Inquirer because we got the guy right here that will answer all your questions. In fact, he's proven some of those great writers over there wrong as he picked the Eagles to uh, go to, the, to uh, the playoffs last year or at least have a winning record. He was, for the most part, right. So let's bring up the Pags man himself, the Philly sports guy. How you doing today, Pags? Good morning, guys. How are you? Hanging right in there, Pat. Hanging right in there. As I said, you know, uh, there's certain there's certain types of writers and, and commentators, I think, in sports. You have the ones that are so optimistic that they think everything's going to work out for for uh, for their team and they're going to go to the Super Bowl, the World Series or whatever. And then you have the pessimistic ones that just downgrade their team all the time. And you heard backstage how I think Jack and Keith – are becoming like old-time Red Sox fans who think, woe is me all the time, or the way the Mets fans used to be. 
when indeed the team has gotten a little better over the offseason, even though they didn't sign no big guy, Pags. Yeah, I heard the the crying. It was crying <laughs> as far yeah. as I was concerned. You know what I, I mean? mean? It's like that. Listen, the Yankees are the Yankees, and there is something about the mystique of the Yankees themselves that will actually win them a few games. I think and, so. and it sounds ridiculous because ultimately – Play on the field has got to do it. But there are certain times where that stadium and the people that go there and the opposing team and, so, you know, like rookies that go into Yankee Stadium, they get like, an, you know, this feeling. You know, and I'm not talking about Yankees themselves. I'm talking about other teams. They'll get this feeling of some of the history, even though it's new Yankee Stadium, that old Yankee Stadium definitely had a lot more history in it. But those are certain things that are undeniable. And because of that, that mystique will sometimes win. I, I would say maybe win about two to three games a year. I agree. I think, I think you get stressed out as a new player or if you've never played the Yankees. It, you, the Yankees are, are baseball. I mean, you got to admit it, you know, whether you like it or not, it's like the Cowboys in football. That's the team that, that you well, want to beat. A team that you wanna you wanna destroy, and I think they get stressed out sometimes just because they're playing the Yankees, uh, and it may affect their bats or their pitching or their play in the field. I, I I agree with you. Well, you know what we didn't address actually. Doctor Paul Semendinger mentioned it in the past show that the Yankees make a mistake on reflection of not signing Bryce Harper when he was a free agent. Now Harper signed a thirteen-year deal for 330 million. Normally 13 years would be ludicrous, but when you look at the total value of the contract, it wasn't outlandish because you know he was a 30 million dollar year player as is, so you could have signed him maybe for 10 years cuz he was young enough at that point. The last 3 years there's only 30 million on there. You know, so it wasn't outlandish. But did the Yankees make a mistake packs by letting him, you know, escape more or less and go to the Phillies? Well, I would say yes. However, I think that it had more to do with Bryce. Uh, I feel that he probably, you know, again, I can't speak intelligently for the man himself, but I don't know that New York was the type of market he was interested in going to. You know, I, I feel that he has a certain swagger but yet also a certain type of personality that kind of feeds off of the crowd I, I feel like he plays to the Philadelphia crowd he plays like a way we want our Philadelphia players to play like in New York I think that that is lost a little bit you know, you're expected to be great. And if you're not great, if you're having a downtime or whatever, you get eaten up alive that they are, they have like a case of the miserables up there, you know, that they would rather be miserable than happy. And it only takes a championship to make them happy. Anything less than that doesn't count. So, and I feel that that in Philadelphia, that's not how that is. If you are doing everything that you can and not succeeding, we'll be critical, but we see the effort. And that, that effort means a lot more to us 
than the actual numbers of the game. Max, the Philly fans booed Santa Claus. Give me a break. I know that I know that you were about 50 then when that happened, you know, because it happened in the 60s. You know, and you, the fact that you were bringing that up because you might have been there during that time. But I mean, realistically, that is that is old, old, old news. And listen, he was a bad Santa. He was a terrible Santa. He wasn't fat. He wasn't. He wasn't a big Santa. He was drunk. You know, and, and that guy, all the way up to the day he died, claimed that it was one of the best days of his life because he expected. Philadelphia to respond that way when the original Santa who was supposed to come didn't come they pulled him out of the crowd after drinking all day long all disheveled not having a you know he didn't have a stomach or nothing he looked like he looked like a 160 pound Santa Claus wearing a suit that was little you know two sizes too big and drunk as a snake yes he should have been booed yes the Philly fans respect Santa Claus Jack they don't respect imposters Drunken posters. Philly doesn't put up with that. That's the way Philly is. So anyway, Pags, since we since Jack started you off with Bryce Harper, I think do you guys play today? Is today your opening game? Today is opening day. So right after last, this, I'm going to be getting painted up. The last, the last, the last uh, spring training game, the last few games, the Philly bats, including Bryce Harper, have jumped to the ready. I mean, these guys are ready to start hitting the ball. It's only spring training, but that was the last warm up. And they're just pounding the ball. A little bit of pitching. A little bit of pitching. You guys are you guys are up in the race. You guys, I think you guys make a run at it. I think I think it's gonna come down to between you and the Mets. I think the Braves are gonna fall off. I, I really believe that's a once in a decade team there. You know, they were they barely were 500. They get in. It's a Cinderella story. They play really good ball. Their pitching is good. I don't think that's going to happen this year with the Braves. I think it comes down to you and the Mets. If the Mets pitching staff has any types of problems, I think you guys win that division. Uh, well, I think that the Mets are the Mets, and the Mets like to Mets it up, especially as they get closer to the end of the season. Uh, I feel that the pitching over there is, you know, the pitching is going to get old very quickly, I think, once August comes around. Uh, like Scherzer, Scherzer's what, 36, 37 years old. I mean, he's, he's, I don't think he's going to, you know, be as effective. I mean, he's still a good pitcher. Don't get me wrong. And listen, DeGrom, DeGrom is still the best in the game. As long as he's, as long as he's healthy, but the Phillies traditionally win when DeGrom starts against them. Now they don't usually hit DeGrom. Yeah. But they get to the they they usually are able to get to the bullpen and the bullpen is great at giving it up, especially against Degrom. I guess because you get so honed in on him that when you go up against lesser pitching, you are really focused and, and you can start crushing the ball. You know that they, I want to say wonderful packs is the Atlanta Braves still Mac. The Braves should be favored to still win the division. They addressed losing Freddie Freeman by trading for Matt Olson. They got Kelsey Jansen as a closer from the Dodgers who wanted to hold on to Jansen. But, were, you know, they took too long to get a deal done. They're the team to beat. They're, and I think the Phillies are making the playoffs as a wild card. That's my prediction. Phillies I actually have that. Playoffs. I have them as the exact same way. I think and, that they, they make the playoffs. they don't get into the playoffs, you wonder what's going to go down with the Philly fan base and Joe Girardi because they're going to look at Joe Girardi and they're going to say he's been here three years and he hasn't gotten to the playoffs. 
Joe Girardi's on the hot seat this season, even though they're not talking about it as such. He's on the hot seat right now till the end of the year. Uh, I, I Absolutely. I 100% agree with that statement. I feel that if they have a slow, especially with the way that their bats were in spring training, if they come up here and all of a sudden they are not winning games, if they are not uh, doing what they were able to do in the first two months, uh, I could see, you know, if they're not at 500, at least at July 4th, that there could be a shakeup. Uh, now, he won't get fired during this season, Pags. I'm talking I about disagree with that. Yeah, I could see the Phillies moving on from Girardi at the end of the year. I think he has the whole season, no matter what, unless the Phillies completely collapse out of playoff contention. He's going to be there the whole year, and they're not going to, fall out of playoff contention. Worst case scenario, they'll contend and not make the playoffs. But it's a must that they at least get a wild card. Uh, I agree with that. I feel like that this team is strong enough. I feel like that this team is going to win games uh, ridiculous style. Like I, I, like when I say ridiculous, they're going to win a lot of games like 10-8 and 12-10 instead of like 4-3. You're not going to see many 4-3 games. Yeah, maybe, maybe when Wheeler's pitching, on occasion when Nola's pitching, uh, but for the most part, you're not going to see many shutouts that the Phillies are going to throw. You're going to see uh, high-scoring, high-tempo, high-offense games. Now, how does that equate as you get towards the end of the season when good pitching beats good hitting all the time? Because ultimately, that's what's going to, you know, it's defense wins championships, and that's even the same in baseball as well. So I, I'm hoping that the the Phillies, as they move forward, uh, are able to strengthen their pitching staff enough to be able to not have the losses at the end of the back of the bullpen. You know, like last year where we broke records uh, on losing saves and blowing saves. Uh, they can't do that this year. They need to win those games. They need to at least win uh, half of those games. You know, well, so the tra- if the trade deadline's coming up, Pags, you guys still can make some moves as other teams can. So uh, trade we'll deadline, we can, we're, that's the end of July, ain't it? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you <laughs> we guys, got plenty of time for you that. Guys got, you guys got time to, to 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 bolster that pitching staff or bullpen, or whatever. Let's switch to the Eagles uh, real quick. A huge trade, uh, you guys kind of give two for one in the first round, giving you still two draft picks in the first round with the Saints. But you pick up next year, you pick up another first rounder, probably giving you another two first round picks next year. And then you get the second round pick the following year. Uh, the Saints, of course, they're, they're – third rounder. They've got a third rounder this yeah, year. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just talking the big ones, the first two rounds. Um, the, the the Saints oh, have it's a pretty big round. Yeah, it's 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 a good one, but it's it's not as much high profile as the first two. That's all I'm saying. You you expect stars. Third round you'll get a starter. Fourth round sometimes you'll get a starter. I understand that. Um, but the Saints had to look for this year. Their 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 team is decimated right now. New head coach. They got to make moves. The Eagles, to me, Pags, and no matter no matter how much it hurts me to say this, because it does have always had a competitive team since I can remember, all the way back to the 70s. They've gone through a few droughts, but 80s, 90s, 2000s, uh, they always have a competitive team. They're not near the bottom every year or, or two, three years in a row. They're always up fighting near the top. And I think that this year they will too again. And I think that your front office 
is never really talked about around the NFL as much as it should be because I think it's really underrated, Pags. You know, it, it, it's funny that you say that because I have a lot more faith. As a Philadelphia fan, I have a ton more faith in Howie Roseman than, than most Philadelphia fans have. And he, I feel that he does do well. The two years that they did not have Douglas, once Douglas went to the Jets, and they chose Ortega Whiteside and then Rager over the two other wide receivers, you know, DK Metcalf and um, Jefferson. You, you think about those those moves and his whole GM being a GM is specific on those two picks. Everything else, everything else has seemed to work out. I mean, they got they got Maialata in the seventh round. You know, and he's going to probably be, I, you know, barring any injury, he will be a Pro Bowl tackle either this year and quite possibly a Hall of Famer if his career lasts the way I expect it to. Now, to you know, choose him in the seventh round, that's, that's a great, great pick. But everything is on the two picks of the wide receivers. And... You know, I think about that, and I think back to the DK Metcalf, you know, where we didn't choose DK Metcalf. Instead, we chose J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. The big name that everybody was talking about was C.D. Lamb, that the Cowboys went up and got up ahead of us to get him. You know, so when you think about I think about he fell that, into the Cowboys' lap. I don't think they expected to get him. He just happened to be there for them. Yeah, but they didn't have a need at wide receiver that year. And so it was odd that they chose him. They chose him specifically not to go to Philly. I mean, and let me just say something. Can I say something since we're on the deal with New Orleans? I think it was a brilliant deal for the Eagles. They got the better of the deal by far. And there are more implications. If New Orleans has a really bad year, New Orleans is a fading team. That could be a high number one pick. And you combine that with your other number one pick. And they could add in a future number one in the second and third. If an elite quarterback is coming out of the draft, truly elite, and they're not happy with Jalen Hurts as their guy going forward, the Eagles are in prime position to get their quarterback of the future if it's not Jalen Hurts. Well, a lot and of and, and I, I have to agree. I mean, now, so you took what was uh, a second-round pick last year and a first-round pick this year. And made this first round a first, a second, and a third. That's that's what they wound up because in essence, that's what's gotten traded. So you wound up making it making the trade for Carson Wentz a first, a second, and a third round pick. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, along with so along with the second round pick that happened last year. So yeah, I look at this as it really was a great move. And then, of course, now the reports come out that who's working with Mister with TB twelve down in Florida or California or wherever they're working at Jalen hurts working with the same guy who, with the coach who works with uh, Tom Brady and Tom Brady himself. Well, you know, that's, that's somebody, that's somebody yeah. who's actually taken the bull by the horns knows that he's on the hot seat. He hears it. He sees, he sees the media. He knows that, Oh, the Eagles are talking about this quarterback. They're talking about this quarterback. I mean, you can't, you can't have a blind eye to that. Listen, so, I, but he can listen, only do what he can do. 
Listen, you know, I, again, you know, to me, Hurts reminds me a lot of McNabb, who McNabb might have had a bigger gun, but he was inaccurate at certain times during games and stuff and, and might have lost some games for you guys holding on to the ball too long. I think Hurts could be another McNabb, which is good enough to get you to the Super Bowl for sure. And then, you know, depending on how things work out. But I just I just wanted to, to say that, you know, again, you know, I'm a big Giants fan and, you know, I, I hate the Cowboys and Eagles and Redskins because of that. I must say the Redskins because that's the team that I used to hate. I don't even know what their name is anymore. But I mean, you got to give credit where credit is due, man. You guys for the last 20, 30 years are always in the conversation. You went to a couple of Super Bowls, you won one and even. Even in your down year, you were what you were still near the top of the bad division. I mean, it's it seems to me that the Eagles are that lunch bucket team that has some stars on it once in a while, but they're always in it, and that has a lot to say about your organization. And I think you guys could get a lot more credit than you do. 76ers, real quick. Um, they seem to be having a little problems defensively uh at certain points. They're not playing fluid yet, uh, Pags. Harden played a lot better last game as far as assists went than he did uh, recently. Uh, but the Raptors just came on and overwhelmed your defense at the end. Uh, that does happen. Uh, any big questions for you going into the playoffs? Uh, or do you just think the cards are going to fall the way they do and it's anybody of those top four teams? What's happening with Doc Rivers? That is the question. This is this is what's happening. I, I see that right now there is the biggest part of the dissension within the ranks has to deal directly with him. I feel that the team is starting to rebel. Even yesterday, uh, when they're talking, you know, he literally said. You know, Matisse Thibault had nothing to do with this game. Had he played, they still would have lost. And then Maxi comes on right after him and says, yeah, we absolutely miss Matisse Thibault. He does so many things. And it, it's it seems to me that he's calling players out unnecessarily, that he's putting onus on or responsibility on everybody else except himself. And I have a problem with that. I think that the Philadelphia fan base is starting to see this. There are things going on right now where people are saying specifically, you know, the question was asked at uh, 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 DSM Media. Uh, they put out a little bit of a post. They said, they asked, if Doc Rivers was to get let go right now and they just brought up their assistant coach uh, and made him the interim coach for the rest of the year, do you feel that the Sixers could possibly get further in the playoffs than they would with Doc? And there's a thought process behind that. There's a definite thought process. Now, I don't know that I 100% agree with that because you can't you can't shake it up that that much so close to the end. You should have some type of continuity. But realistically, I think that there is an issue in the locker room with the coach. And short of getting to the finals they're going to have an issue and and you know Toronto has had our number a little bit I think they won three out of the four games this year it looks Toronto's like cool. right now if the way things happen if the way things fall we're going to wind up playing against them um 
So, I mean, I guess we could we could bump over Boston because Boston only has one game. We have two games left. Uh, they're playing the Grizzlies. So if they happen to lose against the Grizzlies, it would not wind up us being the number three seed, which is probably where we're going to wind up landing or the fourth seed. So if we wind up in the fourth seed, we're going to play Toronto. If we wind up in the third seed, we play Chicago. And ultimately, if we play Toronto, that's going to be a big deal because one, Matisse Thibault can't go up there and play because he's not vaccinated, or at least that's the word. Nobody even knows whether he's vaccinated or not. I got to assume that he is not because he didn't go into Canada. He wasn't traveling with the team. And, you know, that's, you know, three games up there. I mean, Toronto has, like I said, the last couple of games, they have beaten us, you know, and they've beaten us in the fourth quarter. You know, they've they've come on and they've had a lot more energy at the end of the game in comparison to the beginning of the game because the Sixers were up. Uh, I think they went on a 17 to two run to start that game. They were up by six points going into halftime and then wind up losing by six points. So I, I think that this has something more to do with coaching. Well, Pax, I think the window with the Sixers comes around the Harden deal. And I think the window doesn't extend beyond next year. Hypothetically, if the Sixers got knocked out in the first round of the playoffs, the fan base would be upset, but the thought would be, okay, let Harden come to training camp next year in great shape, and we'll give him the year with Embiid. But I don't think it goes beyond next year. I think the fan base becomes very restless if this doesn't resemble the same James Harden we've known. There's going to be a revolt if they don't get past the first round. Mm, there will be an know. absolute revolt. They will be. They will have Even the pitchforks this year, out. They wouldn't consider this a transition year with getting hard in. No, no. One year next year. But what uh, well, I think. Do? I think that. I don't know that they'll blame Harden. Harden they'll won't blame, be the blame Doc Rivers this year, but right. Harden next year if it doesn't get done. Well, I, I, it's gonna, it's gonna fall on a lot of different things, but they'll definitely blame Doc Rivers right now. Is is that seat's got to be burning hot? And I mean, unless I, he gets to the conference finals or the finals, I think that he's gone, and he should be gone. I don't like him as a coach. I've been saying this for a little while now. I feel that they could, you know, I feel like that he's specifically lost us games, and in the playoffs, his record speaks for itself. He's the he's the most losingest coach with a three one lead in a series. You know that the other team can come back and out coach him and outplay their team enough to lose series. I think he's lost four series when he was up three to one, and that's ridiculous. Well, Pags, listen, I I, I fully expect the 76ers, if they play Toronto, I agree with you. I think you're in trouble. Toronto's a good young team, and they really are. Very, very good young team, and going up there is going to hurt you guys. I think you guys will be there in the end, maybe playing the Bucks. Celtics are still there. I mean, we keep running, waiting for them to run out of gas. They haven't yet. They're still playing hard. They gave the Bucks all they could handle. Uh, I think they're a very solid team, too. And, of course, I love the Bucks this year, as I started the year saying, I think they're going back. But anyway, Pags, always great having you on. We'll see you on Sunday. Um Keep doing what you're doing, my friend. You're doing a hell of a job out there raising money and drinking beer. Uh, I think you're very good at both of them. Uh, maybe more drinking beer, but that's for another time. Pags, uh, have a great Friday night, and we'll see you on Sunday, my friend. All right, everybody. Enjoy uh, opening day.
The Yankees yeah. didn't play yet, right? The Yankees haven't started yet, right? They start today? Yeah. No, no. They, yeah, yeah. it starts off today. I don't put too much emphasis on yeah, it. Yeah. Matt does. According One to game, the, he'll say, I told you about the Yankees. If they according to, according I hope to, they do win. I hope I'm wrong. Oh, my God. What a, what a cover that is. You know something, Pags? According to Keith and Jack, they shouldn't even play this year because they're not, they're not going to be 500. So that's what I think the Yankees should do. I think the Yankees should just – I'm surprised season. Jack's not a Mets fan. He's a Yankees I, I fan. I want the Mets to win. I think New he York. wants I to be. I mean, he is wearing Mets colors today. Uh, yes, he is I wearing Mets, and they did win six to one yesterday. yesterday. I think he wants to yesterday. Down deep, yeah. down deep, I think Jack wants to be a Mets fan, but there's too many people he knows right now that he's talked about the Yankees, all this stuff about the Yankees all years, all these years. So he trades off. I think he'll actually lose friends back. I think that's what the problem is right now with Jack. So. Well, I'm just glad that he actually realizes that the Dodgers don't play in Brooklyn anymore and that he's no longer a fan of the Dodgers. That's that's what's really most important. That is a good question, whether I would have been a Brooklyn Dodger fan had I, you know, been a baseball fan old enough at that time. Because I'm going to tell you very quickly, uh, very quickly, Mac, because I know he wants to go off the air. When the Brooklyn Cyclones came into existence, I was a Brooklyn guy. I thought for sure I was going to love the Brooklyn Cyclones. They're playing the Staten Island Yankees at Cyclone Park in Brooklyn. And I'm at the game, and I find myself rooting for the Staten Island Yankees. I couldn't help myself. The Yankee brand overwhelmed me, even though I was a Brooklyn boy. There you go. I, I don't know what to tell you, Pax. I, that's, that is true true roots baseball talk right there so you know everybody remembers the brooklyn cyclones and the new york style uh staten island yankees so i'm glad we got that resolved Pags again thank you <laughs> have, have a great day my friend uh you guys too have a great weekend Bye, everybody so there you go folks the great philly sports guy jamie pags blessing our studio as he does every friday and saturday folks it's been a fun time going with all our guests today talking with jack as it always is every day that we're on you guys have a great friday night and uh, as far as the, the as far as the season goes, baseball is, is here. Now, whether you pay attention or not, it's up to you. Me, I'll definitely be paying attention. So you guys have a great day, and we'll see you tomorrow on the Jack Mac and Jack Debates Debate Sports Show with Dr. Paul Semeninger. So join us for that. Have a great one, folks. <laughs>